When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your etiquette questions about the device excuse, CC email etiquette, just who is included in an invitation to the whole family, and how long is too long for sending condolence notes. All that plus your feedback salute and surprise, Dan, we have a pop quiz for you in our postscript segment. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. So I didn't know what we should talk about in our intro topic this morning. I am so curious about what's on the script in front of me here. I know. So I, I totally was just joking around and, and using a little, like, you know, vision therapy for myself. And so I had wrote, Lizzie shares that she's met the one and how the first few dates have been amazing examples of good etiquette. But, you know, cool good etiquette because we wouldn't want geeky good etiquette for my first dates of, you know, dream husband. Well, Cousin Dan was very curious when he read this. He says it to himself, you know, I haven't heard of about this yet. This is really exciting. <laughs> no, just just a hoax. I didn't know what you want to talk about. You're headed to Kansas State. I'm holding down the fort. We got Anish going to a doctor's appointment. I don't know. There's all kinds of things to talk about. There are. And it really tis the season. Tis the season. And I'm thinking about what is a really ramping up business schedule. And you're right. It begins this weekend. I'm off to Kansas State, which is located in Manhattan, Kansas. They call it the Little Apple. I think that is so Awesome. awesome. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite visits. I've been going annually for several years now, and I look forward to my visit to the Little Apple each year and my stay at the Bluemont and uh, the <laughs> folks look- that greet me and the day I get to spend with students there. It's one of my favorite uh, events. It's a little different than the usual corporate training or business training that we do. I get to spend a whole day and I do a series of sessions with students and many of them spend the whole day going to one session after another. So it's a chance to, to get to know some folks and advocate for decency and good etiquette. It's the beginning of a season of training. That Well, and to connect with younger minds, too. I mean, that's one thing that we have been so thrilled that each generation, whether it was Emily looking back to, you know, the baby boomers that were being born, or it was, you know, uh, Mud and Poppy, our grandparents looking back to kids of the 60s and 70s, like each generation that you can get excited and interested in etiquette is another way for us to have a culture that develops with a mind towards consideration, respect, and honesty. So I'm always a huge fan when colleges ask us to come speak. I think it's awesome. It's such a way to build great foundation at a point in someone's life where they're really absorbing a lot. There's a lot of self-reflection that happens in college. There's a lot of, hey, I'm an adult now, but who do I want to be when I step out of this learning environment? And I think it's such a key moment to hit people with etiquette. 
etiquette. Okay, maybe not hit them, but introduce them or expose them to a different angle of it. It's such a great audience. I couldn't agree more. We've been talking to student and alumni groups here in Burlington already this spring. There have been a couple of those events, a couple more coming, and there are a few more schools on the horizon this spring. And it does renew me to talk to these young audiences. And I couldn't agree more about the the hope that it brings when you see a new generation embracing this material and also making it their own, figuring out how to make this oftentimes what feels like very traditional material relevant in their lives and looking for ways that they're going to take advantage of that material, but also um, own it and feel good about doing it. And it really does. It, it gives me hope. I've said it before <laughs> and I'll say it again. And, and I look forward to these trips. They take a little bit out of you because there's a lot of travel involved. Of course. But they also renew you because you get to connect. And that's that's a special thing. I love it. Let's connect to our audience by answering some of their questions. I couldn't agree more. Let's get to some questions. The heart of Awesome Etiquette is answering your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want it on the show. I love our first question because it gets us to the idea of the digital excuse. And I might also label it the digital reason because I think that both could be used accurately to describe the situation that occurs for our listener, Tanya. This one's titled Darn Devices. Hello. We were invited to a military social, casual attire, and RSVP'd that we would be attending. We entered the wrong date in our devices and missed the social. Thankfully, we caught the error before heading to the host's home the next evening. What is proper etiquette? Is it appropriate to send a note of regret or apology or just let the whole thing pass? Sincere thanks, Tanya C. Oh, no. That is my first thought. Right? Just mortified. And you and I debated about this. There could be two different ways you could be reading this situation. When I had read it, I was thinking that the way it was structured was that there's a military social that's held somewhere else. I'm thinking like a a, a hall of some sort or some kind of outside venue. And it happened to be that the host of the social was also going to host this couple for like dinner the next night or something like that. And so their moment is, oh, my gosh, we missed the social And we're headed to their home in like less than 24 hours. What do we do? And you read it as... When I read this question, I thought the social was happening at the host's home. And Tanya was about to show up at that house the next night with the social having already happened. (laughs) Not being aware of that. (laughs) Either case really presents some awkwardness. It absolutely does. And thankfully, no matter which case it is, the advice is the same. And that would be own up to the mistake. You absolutely want to call a host as soon as you've realized some kind of a scheduling mistake on your end. That way you can apologize. It also prevents you from showing up or seeing that host the the next time in person and having to start that interaction off with an apology. I like that. And as far as whether you send a note of regret or whether you call and make that apology, I think the call is the right decision here for a couple of reasons. One, if you handwrite that note and send it in the mail, it's going to take a minute. And this is one where you really want to do get that apology there as fast as humanly possible. These people were expecting you. You had RSVP'd yes, and you were a no-show. So even if it's 
that night. I think that you, you, you make the call, you do it as soon as possible. And you also avoid the potential trouble that comes from a more immediate written communication, a text or an email feeling impersonal, feeling like it's not delivering that apology with enough sincerity. It doesn't really give them a chance to hear the contrition and the genuine concern in your voice about the potential offense and the difficulty that, that your error may have caused them. So this one actually has a pretty clear-cut etiquette advice, and I I love all of Dan's suggestions, especially that your voice really does make a difference in this situation. It's one of those times where a phone call is so helpful. And mistakes happen. You know, don't fret too much about this, but at the same time, do the good thing of making the apology because that's what helps build the relationship afterwards. And, you know, the most we can ever do is hope that we are coordinating correctly. And every now and again, it's going to go wrong. And that's okay. That's what apologies are for. And then you can move on and have a great time gathering and entertaining with these folks on another day. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is about CC etiquette. If I'm a CC on a memo, may I reply or is it only meant to inform and the person in the two should only reply? Okay, so I totally for a minute thought we were back on April Fool's Day because the next note in our show notes says, this works for email too. And I was like, what is Dan talking about? Dan, fill us in on this cute joke. <laughs> I, I love that our our question asker refers to an email as a memo. And it really speaks to me for uh, to long experience in the office when memos were a much more common, maybe the form of communication that happened between people that work together. And I love this idea of, of 
of replacing email with memo in, in, <laughs> in our thinking. In our thinking. But we do think that we're, we're in the category more so of email here. And this is a really common issue with email. BCC and CC are mildly complicated issues. People don't always know and they don't always love being a part of long email chains. But I think that this kind of depends. Have you been introduced in the email or are you just there as second eyes on the communication you know, in case, like our company, a lot of the times we just CC each other on things so that we each know what's going on in the company. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean I'm being asked to respond or Dan's being asked to respond. There are other times where clearly you have something to say. Yes. Where you're an intended part of the communication, where your participation is relevant. And that might be relevance that the the person who's sending and the person in that two field who's the primary recipient are are well aware of. And it's very obvious that they would want you to weigh in. Sometimes it's something that maybe you're privy to and it's the reason that you're CC'd and it's not necessarily an intended part of the back and forth communication, but there is a reason you're on there and and you really feel compelled to add something. If you really have something to add, you should. Because you're in the CC field, you're a public part of that communication. You've been acknowledged. Everyone knows that you're seeing it. So you're not revealing anything. You're not, It's not inappropriate yeah. for you to jump in as long as you're contributing to that conversation. There's no reason to hide here. Like you're a part you're part of the chain. It's okay. (laughs) My advice in this situation would be to proceed with caution. If you do reply, acknowledge the others on the email train or introduce yourself and then say what you need to say. Um, Something like, thanks for CCing me, Kelly. Enrique, I'm happy to get you those numbers if you need them. Just let me know when you need them by. Like whatever part of the conversation you happen to fit into, by all means, speak up and add that. If it's necessary, Um, you can also acknowledge that you're going to keep quiet. Hey, everybody, glad to be a part of this chain. I'll keep quiet on it, but I'm I'm glad to see everything that's going through. Please keep me CC'd on it. That's another route to go. I really like that. And I also hear you advising caution. And the only place where I really start to listen and defer to that cautionary voice because the CC is a pretty public invitation to participate is that there is an emerging courtesy in our workplaces that we don't spam each other with a lot of unnecessary communication. So if you don't particularly feel like you have anything to contribute or that you want to add, there is no need to respond just pro forma, just because you feel you should or because you've been CC'd. It is also okay to be that good listener in this email conversation, to play that role of good listener and absorb the information without necessarily adding another email to someone's inbox. So anonymous, as you get all of these CC'd emails, it's probably going to be a case-by-case basis, which ones you participate on and which ones you are a listener on. But we are very confident that you will be able to tell the difference between the two based on your own work life and your own communications, and that you will have CC etiquette down to a T. Remember those simple rules of office etiquette, and you'll get along in the business world. Our next question is about an invitation to the whole family. You receive an invitation to a wedding for your family. The groom is your nephew. After you have responded to the wedding invitation, letting the bride and groom know how many in your family would be attending. That would be you and your husband and your son and his girlfriend. You then receive a text from the groom telling you your son's girlfriend was not invited because they were over the amount of guests that were to attend. They would have to pay more money for extra guests. Is this proper etiquette? Anonymous. 
Oh, anonymous. There are so many good questions about this question. First thought is, was there an inner envelope and did it have specific names listed? Because if they were issuing formal invitations, you'd have an inner envelope where the outer envelope would say like the Sunning family. And then the inner envelope might say Cindy, John, Will and Dan. Or it might say Cindy and John, Will and Guest, Dan and Guest. That's another thing that you might see on an inner envelope. But I don't. we don't know whether that inner envelope was there to indicate how much of the family from this household was being invited together. The invitation itself is your first clue in this situation. Those inner envelopes are so helpful. Sometimes the address on the outer envelope isn't specific enough. Right. You might look for other clues In that invitation itself, even if it's not wrapped in that nice inner envelope, but if it is a little ambiguous, if you're unclear about exactly who's invited, then the question of how you proceed definitely starts to matter because there is some ambiguity and this is a a serious invitation. I'm going to go out there and say advice you've heard us say a ton of times before, and that's that you never assume someone is invited unless you see their name or the plus one or and guest. So if around your son's name, there was never a addition of his girlfriend's name, addition of a plus one, addition of and guest, we, we can't go to the place of assuming that she is invited to the wedding as well. It's true that couples who don't live together are often not invited as a pair that wedding hosts aren't under a social obligation to include partners that aren't part of what we think of as long-term committed relationships. Exactly. I was going to say, even if they don't live together, that was kind of the traditional rule, which got expanded to long-term relationships because some people choose not to live together until they get married. And they were getting excluded because of this rule when, in fact, The couple had known this couple for forever, and they absolutely should invite the girlfriend or the boyfriend or the significant other. And so it's really important to recognize that it's not about if they live together, but that it's an established couple. And from your question, unfortunately, we don't know how old your son is, if he still lives at home, if they live together somewhere. Maybe he's off at college and this is a long-term relationship and it really is an oversight on the couple's part. And they're going back to traditional rules in order to make that break and keep things in budget. There's all kinds of things that we're a little unsure about with that portion of knowing kind of where the girlfriend falls in terms of that category. There is a quite a bit of discretion for a host about a plus one because wedding invitations carry with them an expense and because the, the available number of seats at a ceremony venue or a reception hall are limited. There are very specific constraints on wedding guest lists and because families start to get large very quickly when you start thinking about the number of aunts, uncles, cousins, close friends who you want to include, those plus ones are often some of the early places where people are forced to make really tough decisions. And the college age or newly independent, still single relative or friend is oftentimes one of the first places where that guest list starts to get trimmed down. And I want to begin our advice part of our answer by encouraging you not to take offense if you aren't given a plus one, that people have different measures for what they're going to call a long-term committed relationship, whether or not they're just going to blanket extend plus ones to everyone who's coming solo. And you can always say to yourself, this isn't a personal decision. It's not a comment on my relationship. If you're in 
one or your single status if you're not, that it really is just about the decision making of the person putting that guest list together and what they're able to do. Absolutely. So it's really important to respect the host's parameters. If they don't have the capacity without paying more to invite more guests, then that's why they can't invite more guests. You may be thinking, well, what about the fact that people will send in with their regrets? So obviously there'll be room for the girlfriend. You don't necessarily know that she's the first person on the list to jump into that kind of B-list category that we're not a huge fan of, but that sometimes occurs for very practical reasons. There might be other cousins or other family or other significant others that might be higher up on that list for the bride and groom. And you just have to respect their parameters. And, you know, at some point, Most weddings have a moment like this, and it boils down to budget and numbers. And it's best, as Dan has said multiple times, not to take it personally. And I really, really hope that your son and his girlfriend won't take this personally. And it's such a great lesson to teach them right now that, hey, sometimes this just happens. Having said all that, I also want to acknowledge that I don't think your host's behavior was perfect in this situation either, that there was some ambiguity in the invitation. We're going to assume that that's the case and that also the way they let you know was not, to my thinking, the the, the best standards. I really think that um, how you handle telling people that a plus one isn't welcome when it's been assumed is something that someone hosting a wedding should think about and should be prepared to handle well. I don't think a text message is the best way to do that. And I don't think referring to the accrued cost right off the bat, particularly in a text message, is the way that I would choose to make that communication if it were me trying to do it. And this is not an uncommon situation in wedding hosting. So I think it's it's reasonable to be thinking that a host would, would handle it with a little more tact or care. And this is where I want to encourage you to put on your I'm going to be the bigger person in this situation hat, that you're not going to let that lack of care affect your good guest role and that you're going to continue to respect the host's prerogative to decide who they can invite to this very important event. So some real simple language to when you reach out to your nephew just to clear up this misunderstanding, pick up the phone and call him and say, you know, I'm so sorry. I do think we had a misunderstanding. We really thought that, you know, my son's girlfriend was invited. We understand now what the situation is. And as soon as I have a decision from my son, we will let you know whether he'll attend without his girlfriend or whether he's going to stay home and, and hang out with her, whatever it is that they choose to do instead of going to the wedding. Um, but it is an option. And I think it's it's fair to let the host know that, hey, because the circumstances were different than we had thought they were, this might change the outcome of whether, you know, your cousin comes to the wedding or not. Whether your nephew decides to attend or send his regrets It's definitely appropriate for you to reach out, acknowledge that you've received this communication, and then proceed to enjoy this wedding and celebrate the special day for your nephew. So our next question is one that just makes my heart go out to our listener. And it's titled, Statute of Limitations on Condolences. And I've condensed this question down because um, the, it, was, it was a good long story. It was, it was actually a very well-written story, too. But there were a lot of points, and I want to just kind of take out the very clear-cut points to explain the history of the situation and then get into the actual question that our, our listener is asking. So here are sort of the condensed down main points of the question. Our listener, Elizabeth, checks up on old acquaintances from time to time by Googling them. 
not that uncommon in today's digital age, you know? And in doing this, she came across an obituary from a former colleague, Scott, who had made a very large impact on her professional and personal life. And she describes he and his wife as the most lovely people. And Scott passed away in 2012, which is about five years ago. Elizabeth lived abroad after having worked with Scott and lost touch with both Scott and his wife. So she was shocked to learn of his passing when she had searched for him online. And she would really like to reach out and send a condolence note. But she has deep concerns about doing so because she had a very unfortunate encounter with a young woman who had lost her brother. Um, Elizabeth ran into the young woman about six months after her brother's passing, and it was a very tragic passing, and she extended her condolences and well wishes to this young woman, only to be met with a very angry and ungrateful and almost hurtful response that made Elizabeth really question her intention of a kind action very deeply. This this is one of those moments where you're kind of scarred for life afterwards. And then now Elizabeth is writing to us, and I will read in her words. So that is my dilemma. Is five years too late? I think I would like to tell Lisa Scott's wife that I'm so sorry about his passing. And yes, I know it's five years late, but I was in London, kind of out of touch with everyone stateside. I would like her to know what impact Scott had on my life and that Scott has not been forgotten. I would appreciate any advice you have. No, I'm not a head case, but um, have you ever had this happen to you? Something that sticks with you and really alters your perception of what you should do in a situation? That one incident has left an indelible imprint on me. So please tell me how to proceed. Elizabeth, I want to start by, on behalf of my cousin and myself, really um, saying that I'm sorry. I'm sorry about both the loss that you've experienced, the sort of discovering that your friend Scott has passed, and also that the hurtful experience that you had where um, you felt that you had hurt someone by bringing up something that had been difficult for them and that they let you know that in a way that that did make a real impact on you, that made an imprint on you that you continue to feel to this day. And it can be hard to get over feeling that kind of hurt and feeling like you've caused that kind of hurt. In fact, I think one of the worst hurts that we feel is when we feel we've caused someone else pain. And it's sometimes easier to get over our own pain than the pain that we've caused other people. And in this particular case, I want to um, encourage you to learn from that lesson, to have that discretionary and cautionary thought, but also not to let that inhibit you from moving forward. And I also want to to be the voice on the other side of the equation that says that it can often be one of the most heartwarming and important things when someone has suffered a loss to know that other people share that with them and that the company that we find with others after a loss or after experiencing something difficult is some of the most important company that we will receive or have or partake in in our lives. And there is no time limit on that. In fact, I, I, I'm thinking of the number of people in my life who've suffered losses and everyone has. It's a part of life and that it can be really special to know that even years later that other people still remember that person who was so important to you, that other people are still touched and moved and impacted by them and and feel feel invested in sharing that with you because they know that you might have felt the same way. And 
I can't encourage <laughs> you strongly enough to allow that voice into your mind as well, to take care when talking with people about people they've lost, I think is important. But I also think that it's important that we do it and that we do it well. It's part of healing. It's part of a life well lived. I couldn't agree more. And I also think that it's important to recognize that as impactful as that one negative moment with that young woman was, it's also Elizabeth shared with us in her email that it was the first time that had ever happened, that she has in the past offered condolences later on and they were well received. So when she approached that woman that day, she didn't think this was going to go wrong. And it did. And I want to encourage you that that's one time out of many where it went right. And to, to not let that one bad instance keep you from spreading the kind of emotion, encouragement and collective healing, that collective sharing of a life and experience with other people in terms of what to actually do. I thought a lot about this because we don't know where Scott's wife is now in life and, and how she feels about his passing and how she has moved on from it or not. And and there is that risk. And I can hear that that risk of, oh, my gosh, what if this upsets her? And so when I thought about what you could write to Scott's wife, I employed a uh, tactic that Dan uses a lot, which is to ask someone's permission before you offer condolences or something like that. And in the form of a note, you might say something like, you might start your note with your intention and let Scott's wife know that if for some reason reflecting on Scott or talking about Scott would be unsettling or upsetting to please stop reading now and save it for later or throw it out. Do whatever you would like with this, but I'm going to let you know I've just found out about Scott's passing and I wanted to reflect on what his life had meant to me and share that with you. If this is not a good time to be receiving that, I completely understand. And that would be kind of a way in my mind to set it up so that it was the choice of the other person whether to hear this or not. But you will still get, I think, the benefits of having written out how you felt about the impact Scott and his wife had in your life and the very good things that you know are out there. What I wouldn't do is include a lot of, oh, my gosh, I was out of touch and I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on stateside. Don't give all the reasons. You can just say, I know we had lost touch over the last five years and I was so sorry to find this information out. I think that's really the tone you want to set, because the more you get into reasonings for why you weren't around during the time of Scott's passing, I think the more the focus is on you and not on Scott. And I think you, your genuine nature of your email to me suggested that you really do want to pass on these positive and wonderful reflections of who Scott was in the world. In your question, you mentioned wanting to express the thought that Scott won't be forgotten. And I think that is an appropriate thought to express. I would keep it framed in the positive and I would keep your sharing and your reflection in that positive framework. And you can read your note back to yourself to hear how it sounds, to check the tone. And I would recommend that with something like this. I would avoid language that says, I wouldn't want you to think Scott would be forgotten and say something positive. 
Scott will never be forgotten or I will never forget Scott because of X, Y, or Z. Keep keep your framing as positive as possible. That's going to help. I'm, I want to leave us with sort of a light thought on this question. And that's one of my favorite movies that's come out in the last couple of years is Inside Out. And it's a movie about Aww. human psychology. It's an animated movie. And in the movie, you see people's inner emotional lives played out with active characters. And one of the characters in that movie that's part of all of our inner emotional life is sadness. And well-integrated, well-felt sadness is an important part of the human experience. And I heard Lizzie earlier talking about wanting to share not the grief, but I think it's wanting to share maybe sometimes that sadness or sometimes the integrated sadness allows us even to reaccess joy. And it's not necessarily true that every time we think about a loss, we need to feel grief, that there is a place where you can have good sadness and where you can also have joy when you're thinking about someone who's passed. And I think that what you're doing is a good part of finding those places. And I encourage you to keep doing that work and to share your thoughts and your feelings. Elizabeth, we truly hope that that helps and that you feel confident with this outreach. Thank you for your questions. You can send updates, comments, and feedback to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about questions we answer and topics that we cover. And on March 24th, we posted this question to our Facebook audience. The question was, is it bad etiquette to ask the host of an event whether a particular person was invited? As you know, we then covered this question in episode 133. And we'll get to we'll, we'll give a little reminder about our advice at the very end. But I really love getting listener answers to questions before they air on the show. So this was really fun to kind of get to circle back. Savannah responded, no, but let me stress a few points. Make sure you are asking the host and not gossiping. Also, make sure you have a valid reason for wanting to know. Are you wondering if someone was left out of an invite? Like if a close relative did not get an invite to a shower? Are you wondering if they invited someone you know who intends to cause drama? Or do you need to avoid someone for a perfectly valid reason, like not causing drama for someone else's day? Don't ask just because you want to know if your ex is bringing a date. But because our lives are not perfect and we have to deal with situations of all kinds, sometimes we have to know ahead of time in order to know how to proceed. Susan had the idea that it's rude unless there's a restraining order. You're supposed to like the host enough and be mature enough to manage being in the presence of someone you dislike for a short time. Susan, we all cheered mightily when you when you responded with this. I agree. I think there's a lot of it that, that comes down to, you know, can I suck it up and just kind of avoid the person I'm not interested in seeing at the party? Am I really that worried about spending two hours in the presence of someone I'm not that fond of? I really liked it. But I also respected the caveat for a restraining order as not just a joke, like that legitimately you might have some safety or some some real concerns that, that might be an issue, in which case I think your friends might really give you a pass on asking this question. Lisa shared... I think it depends on who the host or hostess is. If they are close family or a friend, and if you are comfortable having the conversation, then it is probably okay to ask. 
If it's just a parent of your kid's friend or someone else you hardly know, I wouldn't ask. Plus, there's a big difference between, oh my goodness, I'm so excited for the party, will Jane be there too? And, did you invite Bob? Did you? I can't stand him. I loved Lisa's comment because it was so closely to, like, what I think in my own head of, like, yeah, I I would have no problem, Dan, asking you. So, like, yeah, who's coming to the party on Saturday? But that's because we're so close. And so I think that there is some territory of, like, really tight-knit friend groups asking about people who are very normally in those tight-knit friend groups. And you're kind of, like, in the casual zone. But where other people are concerned, like you said, parents of your kid's friend or something like that, you maybe don't quite have the social standing with them to ask that question without it coming across as rude. What I love about all three of these answers is that there's an it depends that's a part of all of them. And that it depends shows an awareness of the basic premise that there's a rudeness around inquiring too much of a host about who else is coming if that is perceived as nosy or judgmental or assessing whether or not someone's going to go based on the other guest list. At the same time, it acknowledges the very real world that we live in. So – Let's take a look at some of the it depends factors that matter in a question like this. So from episode 133, we had said that, you know, hey, you got to be careful because this may seem like you're trying to gauge whether or not the event is worth your time based on your guest list. So it kind of depends on how you ask and who you ask. Fundamentally, your attendance or absence should be based on the merit of the invitation and your relationship with the host. And I love that some of our listeners pointed this out, too. Give your host credit. Trust that they take their role as host seriously and that they've considered the guest list and are doing all they can to ensure a wonderful evening for you and other guests. The final thought that we have is that the practicality question really does matter. Practicality being part of the heart of good etiquette. If the host's answering of this question can really materially improve the party or the guest experiences of the party, getting someone rides, avoiding parking issues, um, helping someone avoid someone who does have a restraining order, (laughs) then (laughs) those are the kinds of things that you really not only can ask, but maybe even should ask. Absolutely. And when it comes to things like those rides or coordinating, you know, travel, that sort of thing, you can always ask the host, hey, do you know if there's anyone who is attending who I could reach out to about travel? That way you're not saying, hey, who's coming to the party, but hey, can you help me coordinate a carpool? Much different question. So (laughs) there you have it. I loved hearing all of our listener responses. There were certainly more. So go check out the Awesome Etiquette Facebook page. See if there's any that resonate with you and feel free to keep adding your own. And of course, you can always share your feedback with us through awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or on the Etiquette Hotline at 802-858-KIND. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript segment is not going to be what Dan thinks it is because I prepared a pop quiz for him. I'm so ready for this. I was a straight A student. Bring it on, Cousin Lizzie. <laughs> so I totally surprised Dan and actually like put, put a fake Postscript segment in our script today. We will get to it at some point. Unbelievable. But I thought this would be really fun. Now, we've done quizzes in the past, but this one I thought would be really fun to structure where I'm going to ask you the question. (laughs) We're going to give a pause so that our audience members can shout out their own answers. (laughs) Um, And then we're going to give the answer. And if there's a little bit of explanation, we're going to go through it. So, Daniel Senning, are you ready? I'm 
hoping I am. <laughs> Don't worry, I didn't make it too hard. Question number one: What utensil goes to the left of your place setting? The fork. Very nice. I'm very glad you got that one. Woo! Wipe yeah, sweat from his brow. <laughs> I was going to say we started off easy. Question number two: If you open a wedding invitation and the inner envelope only says your name, may you bring a guest? No. <laughs> Correct. Number three: In a business situation, do you, being a man, rise from the table or simply stand? When a female business colleague excuses herself from the table during the meal, not necessarily. Correct. That's right. Business situations are gender neutral. Therefore, some of the old school courtesies don't always apply. The not necessarily part of this answer that I want to offer, truly honoring the the gender neutral nature of business etiquette, and also the. The awareness of others that is so important. If the meal is so formal that you would likely stand if anyone were to exit the table, if it was a small group and you were really wanting to formalize that meal, and you would stand for anyone, by all means, stand when someone arrives, stand when someone leaves. Oftentimes, you will see hosts do this, no matter who enters or leaves the table. Question number four, and you all should get this one fairly quickly if you've been to recent episodes of our show. How many pumps or shakes are appropriate for a good handshake? A range is okay to answer with here. Two to three pumps, but with the caveat that I wouldn't let that handshake linger too long. You can definitely get into awkward territory if you're hanging on after that third pump, sort of waiting for it to fully register. I would say you're you're better off in the slightly shorter territory than the too long territory. And bear in mind, three pumps happens a lot faster than you think it might. So be ready. <laughs> Question number five: If email communications at work are getting strained, should you pick up the phone or ask to meet in person if possible? Whenever possible, go see the person in person. Give yourself a fighting chance. If you can't do that, pick up the phone. We also would have accepted yes. <laughs> number six: When hosting a wedding or baby shower, can you avoid opening gifts at the party? I don't think you can. I agree completely. The answer is no. Number seven: You're at a social event, and the past hors d'oeuvres have a tempura shrimp with the tail on. Can you eat it with your fingers? Yes, you can. Yes, you absolutely can. Follow-up question: How do you handle the dipping sauce? You put a little on your plate so you can go back for the double dip. So I'm even going to say you may. Absolutely, you may. Third follow-up question that I wasn't anticipating: What if you don't have a plate in your hand? One dip, one bite. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> question number nine: Your nephew shows up to a family gathering with two unexpected friends in tow. How do you, the host, react? Welcome them, greet them, introduce them to other guests. Do the best you can to divvy up the food that you have prepared so that everybody gets. A little bit. You are so good at this. It's like you're an etiquette expert. Okay, question number ten. Your daughter's girlfriend followed up her first weekend-long visit to your house with a fabulous, thoughtful hostess gift that she has sent to you after the visit. Do you write a thank you note for the gift? You can't. She needs to know that you received this gift. 
thanking her for it is appropriate, you could also pick up the phone and let her know by phone. Absolutely. Dan, you did fabulously on this pop quiz that I launched on you without any warning whatsoever. Awesome job. Awesome job. I would love to do a pop quiz again in the future. You know, having survived it, I would say let's do it again soon. (laughs) We hope that you in our audience enjoyed it as well and that you got a perfect score. Each week, we like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today's salute comes from Judith, who wants to salute her friend Dara. Lizzie and Dan, thanks so much for the podcast, which I have been especially enjoying as I've recently restarted commuting several times a week. Listening to you both has reminded me how much I'd like to salute a friend of mine for her etiquette and thoughtfulness. My friend Dara has etiquette so impressive that I find myself commenting on it. She has stayed with me and my partner when she is in town visiting, and she is truly a wonderful guest. First of all, she is very low impact, requiring nothing when she is in town. Although we have a car, she always arranges metro or Uber transportation to meet us wherever we are so as not to put us out. When she stays over, we can barely tell that she has been there, except that she always brings thoughtful hostess gifts. Often we go out to dinner as a group, and she is always fastest to get the bill, even though there are two of us to the one of her. Although she lives in a different time zone and has often traveled many hours to visit, she never complains of jet lag or fails to keep our East Coast hours, even when she has traveled the same day as our visit. Beyond basic etiquette, Dara is amazingly kind, always remembering what is happening in my and my partner's lives and asking interested but not invasive questions that demonstrate her excellent listening. Often we will take pictures, and every Christmas she includes a recent snapshot of us together in her holiday card, along with a personal note that shows she appreciates us. I'd like to honor Dara as someone who embodies consideration, respect, and honesty, and shows how using these principles has made both me and my partner feel valued in our friendship with her. Thank you, Judith. Judith, that is so lovely, and Dara sounds like a delightful and amazing friend. We are so glad that you submitted that salute to her. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and our Awesome Etiquette intern is Michaela Baranoff. 